So good to see you this morning. We're wrapping up a series we've been in for six weeks now. So for the you that are new, kind of get you up to speed and for all of us to get our wheels turning, we've watched Laura uh, on this journey of, of, uh, of, of discovering Christ, growing up in Christ, and now actually coming full circle where she's doing the same things with somebody else that Rachel had been doing for her in her life. In fact, we've had a little chart that kind of help us track this journey as we go. So let's just look at our chart one more time, and then we'll get into the heart of today's message. We've been talking about this reality uh, that there's a big difference between being fully devoted followers of Christ and fully mature followers of Christ, that there is this devotion that starts at a commitment that, that was demonstrated this morning in water baptism, and then this journey to maturity, we're calling it the journey of life. That fully devoted journey begins when we've been reborn. We ask Jesus to give us a fresh start, a new life. He called it being born again. We've settled the authority issue. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. He's in charge. And then ultimately committed to growing to maturity. And then we've watched Laura go through these stages of maturity all the way from a seeker where she knows something's missing. Not sure church has anything to do with filling the hole in her soul, but nevertheless it is a God-shaped whole, ultimately stepping across the line of faith. She's in the baby stage of her Christian experience, the teenage stage. We watched her go through some battles uh, in our videos. Then ultimately the adult stage that we talked about last week where she's productive and found her niche and is serving and is fully engaged in healthy relationships uh, with the body of Christ. And today we're talking about the parenting stage of this journey. And so what I want to do today really is to wrap up this series with a closing challenge. I just want to be very clear with you uh, about, uh, about where I sense us going as a church. I want to be clear with you about my role in that as, as, as your leader. I told someone just before the service, for me, this is casting the vision of, of where I believe the bridge is supposed to go during whatever tenure I have as your leader. So this becomes a really pivot point kind of message, uh, at least in my leadership in this church. And so I want you to lean into that. I want to give you a challenge. I want to challenge you to go with me on this journey. But first, let's do our journey. Let's look at parenting. Let's, let's do that comparison as we've been doing every week between a natural parent and a spiritual parent, kind of a point of reference for us. Let's just walk through that, and then we're going to get into our challenge today. Okay, you ready to get into it? Natural parents, I just gave you two this morning for natural parents. Natural parents, first of all, reproduce. That's the difference between just a normal adult and a parent is that you got youngins. I mean, that's what happens. And, and let's just be honest, guys. Every human being that we've ever known, everyone sitting in this room watching online right now, there is this uh, a compelling desire to reproduce ourselves. If you can't do it biologically, then we do it adoptively. We just There's something about us that God created in us, it's part of the image of God in our lives, that called us to that. We talked last year about generational cycles and how the Bible says that, that, uh, that if we obey the Word of God, we obey the commandments, then we, then we pass blessings to a thousand generations. And there's this desire in all of our hearts to pass blessing. I mean, what is, the, what is the great American dream? That every generation will do better than our generation did. I mean, that's just kind of part of part and parcel to being a parent as we reproduce ourselves and in the process hopefully reproduce blessings in the generations to come. The second uh, qualification that of being a parent is that you invest in those kids. You don't just birth babies and leave them to starve. You birth babies and then you invest in them. The verb to parent doesn't mean just produce ch children. It means to take care of them. And ultimately, most parents don't like to think about this, but ultimately it is to prepare them for that day that they will be on their 
own. Some of you have sent your kids off to college this year, and you're still crying about it and, and really frustrated that they aren't calling you every day and, and FaceTiming you every day to make sure that everything's okay. But that's, that's the goal of every parent is to get to that place that we can send them out into the world with a sense of confidence as much as we can that they are ready to deal with that. And even if, even if when we have children that have limitations, uh, and, and maybe they don't have that capacity to go off to college and be on their own. We still, there's something in us wants them to be able to do as much as they can on their own. It's part of the dignity of humanity. That's why the greatest joy for every parent I know is not in a personal achievement. It's when our kids do well. And all the parents in the room said, amen. And the greatest disappointment for every parent I know is when our kids coulda if they woulda, but they wouldn't. All right? We don't care whether they get A's, B's, or C's as long as they're doing their best. But if they're getting C's and they could have got A's without really trying very hard, that's really disappointing to a parent. Somebody in the room say amen. We know that because parents reproduce themselves and ultimately they invest themselves in their children's future to where one day they will be on, on their own. Um, does that cost? Did it cost you anything to be a parent? I ran across something this week I thought I'd share with you. It's, it's kind of cute, but it's powerful too. Uh, somebody calculated the cost of parenting. And the best estimate they came up with is from birth to 18 years, it cost $160,000 to raise a child. That works out to $8,896 per year, $741.38 per month, or $24.24 a day to parent a child, just at over a dollar an hour, 24-7, 18 years. Some people say the cost is scary and too high, but let's look at what you get for that, okay? You get naming rights, first, middle, and last. <clears throat> you get glimpses of God every day. You get giggles under the covers at night. You get more love than your heart can hold. You get an excuse to never grow up. You get to finger paint, carve pumpkins, play hide and seek, catch lightning bugs, and keep reading the adventures of Piglet and Pooh until you're old. You get to be a hero for throwing a Frisbee. You don't get no better than that, guys. You get to take the training wheels off a bike, remove a splinter, or fill a wading pool. You get a front row seat to history to witness the first step, the first word, the first date, the first time behind the wheel. You get to be immortal because you've added another branch to your family tree. And if you're lucky, a long list of limbs called grandchildren who are God's reward for you not having killed your kids when they were growing up. In the eyes of a child, you rank up there with God. You have the power to heal a boo-boo, scare away the monsters under the bed, patch a broken heart, police a slumber party, ground them forever, and love them without limits. So one day they will, like you, love without actually counting the cost. That's quite a deal for the price. Can I get an Amen. So you ready for the spiritual parallels? This is what I want to camp on. I want to get into this, okay? Uh, first of all, natural parents reproduce. Spiritual parents share their faith. 
for, for, for most long-term fully devoted followers of Christ, so this is important that we get this, that, that takes far more intentionality than you might think. Statistically, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, within two years, there are no unsaved people in your circle of friends. I mean, all of your friends are, are your church folk, and they're people that go to other churches that you know something about, and, and your Bible study, and your, you call a Christian plumber. I mean, we've talked about this before, but, but it just what happens is you have less and less influence in the very people you're trying uh, to reach. I've talked to spiritual parents or spiritual adults uh, through the years who have, who have discovered their niche and they're in healthy relationships with God and his family and they're, they're serving and they're productive. But some reason, uh, they stop growing at the adult stage. They don't go on to the parent stage. They never reach the parent, the parent stage. Did everybody get a, a Christian maturity assessment tool either last week or this week? If you, if you didn't get one, the ushers have got some back there. Be sure to pick one of these up because it will help you uh, in your journey to sort all that out. I, I, I took a lady through this process a, a few years ago now. And a precious, precious lady, very close friend of my wife's, and, and a dedicated Christian woman. Grew up in the Newburn Pentecostal Holiness Church, uh, came to Christ at a very young age, was baptized, uh, and just served the Lord faithfully all of her life. Uh, she was principal of a Christian elementary school. She was a small group leader in our church. And so she had every expectation when she did the CMAT, the Christian Maturity Assessment Tool, that she would rank as a parent, Right? And she came in ranked as an adult, and we sat down and talked about it. She said, I have to admit, I'm really surprised. I thought, sure, 30 years walking with the Lord, all the things that I do in the kingdom of God, I, I, would, I would be a parent, not an adult. And I said, well, what do you think? Let's go back to the specific questions in the assessment tool that were ranked low, and so we can kind of figure out why, what you need to do to go from adult to parent. And she realized that, that she had never... I prayed with anybody to receive Christ. She had never witnessed to anybody who needed Christ that her entire life, school, church, family, friends, her entire life was among believers. And so I, I said to her, well, what do you want to do about that? She said, well, I've got to fix that. I'm, I'm going to do something about that. She said, but I don't know any unbelievers. So well, surely there's somebody in your life, in your world, maybe you don't have influence right now, but somebody that doesn't know Jesus. And she said, you know what, my... Uh, the, the lady that, that keeps my daughter sometimes has an adult daughter who isn't saved, and she's been asking me to pray for Jeannie. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to go talk to my care provider, my child care provider. I'm going to ask her to let's set it up where I can meet Jeannie. She and Jeannie were about the same age. And so sure enough, they set that up, and she met Jeannie. They hit it off right away and, and, and you know, would see each other, made arrangements so they would see each other. They went to lunch from time to time. And over about a six- or eight-week period, uh, Casey just built relationship with Jeannie and eventually said to her, you know, I'd love for you to come to church with me some Sunday. And uh, at that point, Jeannie uh, had not been in church most of her life, but she liked Casey a lot. She said, well, okay, I'll go with you. And she did, and within a few weeks, Jeannie gave her life to Jesus Christ. Casey made an appointment with me. She came in, she said, and she was, up, she was about to bust. She was so excited. She could, you could see it in her eyes. When she walked through her door, she said, I got to do a CMAT again. I got to do another CMAT. And I said, what's going on, Casey? She said, Jeannie got saved yesterday, and she's asked me to water baptize her. She was so excited. It's just something new birthed in her. The next thing I heard, Casey was going on walks through her neighborhood. She called them prayer walks where she just walked around the neighborhood praying that God would send somebody out in the yard to work in the yard so she could get into a conversation about Jesus. And before you know it, she's bringing people to church. She became our number one evangelist for a while. 
because she recognized that adult is not the end of the journey. There's another step. And parents, spiritual parents, reproduce themselves. They, they adopt Paul's heart. Acts 20, 24, life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others, read it with me, telling others about the good news, about God's mighty kindness and love. Spiritual parents are compelled to share the good news that they have found almost as if they had a cure for cancer and are looking for a chance to tell anybody they can find, I got a cure, come hear what I've got to say. The second dynamic of the spiritual parent is uh, natural parents invest in their kids. Spiritual parents mentor young believers. Spiritual parents mentor young believers. I can't tell you how excited I was this morning when I realized what was going on in our service today. I I would love to tell you that we're smart enough that we planned this. We ain't that smart. For Mike and Debbie, everybody say, hey, Mike and Debbie. Mike and Debbie are here, a part of our church family. They're group leaders and coaches and and, uh, and the navigators, for the navigators to be the missionary of the month and for their video to play today, and then for granddad to come and baptize Caitlin right here today, this, this is what I'm talking about. This is what spiritual parents do. So sermon's done, y'all can go. <laughs> Guys, hear me. That, that, the, those things are just illustrations of what you see in the Bible over and over and over again. In the Old Testament, you got Jethro uh, mentoring his son-in-law Moses. You got Moses mentoring Joshua, who took the children of Israel into the promised land. Later, you got Elijah mentoring Elisha, who did twice as many miracles as his mentor did. I mean, every great leader in the Bible, let me say it again, every great leader in the Bible had a spiritual parent who believed in them before they were fully mature followers of God. Do I need to say that again? You you might need to tweet that. Every great leader in the Bible had a spiritual parent who believed in them before they were fully mature followers of Jesus Christ. First sermon that I ever preached, the widow of our church founder came to me after the service and she said, Jimmy, you're going to make a fine preacher someday. (laughs) I received that word. I've carried it for 47 years. And I hope I ain't arrived, but here I am still trying to get better at it. But that's just how the scriptures work. The New Testament takes it to an H&L. I mean, it's just a whole other level of this. Jesus was a master at this. When he called Peter out, Peter was, the only reason he opened his mouth was to change feet. I mean, this guy was just constantly in trouble, all right? Matthew was a hated tax collector. The sons of Zebedee were activists of the day who were stirring up trouble all the time. But Jesus saw their potential, and he called them out according to it and invested in them and traveled with them and did life with them. Paul did the same thing for his young sons uh, in the faith, Timothy and Titus, and and even John Mark. They had a point where they kind of parted ways, but but later on they obviously reconciled because late in life Paul sent for John Mark. He said, I want John Mark with me. And so there was this investment in the next generation that was huge, guys, which is, I believe, why Paul taught Titus when he was pastoring his own church. He said, here's how you structure the church. Here's how you organize the ministry of your church. I want you to teach the older men how to live, and then I want you to release them to teach the younger men how to live. Ladies, I want, I want you to teach the ladies how to live. 
the older ladies. I want to teach them how to live, and I want them to teach the younger ladies. And when he says older, he's not talking about chronological age as much as he is maturity stage. Does that make sense? So I've known some people in their 30s mentoring people who are in their 60s. It's not a, it's not a number in terms of age. It's about maturity, and that's how the body of Christ is designed to be worked. And so hear me, guys. When I talk to you about the stages of maturity from seeker to infant to teenage to adult and include parent in the list, it's because I believe every follower of Jesus Christ, every follower of Jesus Christ, let me say it one more time, I believe every follower of Jesus Christ is called by God to eventually reach that place where they are in fact spiritually parenting at least one or more younger believers coming along. If that's not where you are in your journey, I'll say it. I've said it every week throughout this series. If that's not where you are in your journey yet, then God bless you. We're glad you're here. We're thrilled you're here. We don't care what stage you're in. God doesn't care what stage you're in. We're just asking you to not be satisfied and live in a status quo mode with the stage that you're in. Let's go. Let's grow. Let's be who God called us to be. Becoming a spiritual parent is not an exclusive club. It's not limited to people that go to seminary. It's not people with certain gifts or talents. The call is for every fully devoted follower to become a fully mature follower and grow to that place where they ultimately bring somebody along with them. In fact, here's where I need to camp out, guys. Here's what I need you to hear. I believe with everything in me that it is the greatest need in the body of Christ today. I believe the calling out of and the raising up of spiritual parents is the number one need in the body of Christ today. And not just in the bridge, not just in the American church, all over the world. I was in El Salvador four or five years ago, five years ago, I guess. I was teaching a, a, a seminar on church planting in El Salvador with a group of pastors. And at the end of the seminar, uh, there was a group of four of them that wanted to take uh, me and the, the other American brother that was uh, helping me teach. He, they wanted to take us to dinner and pick our brains a little bit. And at the end of the conversation, uh, they, they started to talk to me about the Acts 2 Network that I lead, a church planting organization that I lead. And they're saying, we need the Acts 2 Network in El Salvador. We need you to come and get involved, not just one seminar. We need you guys to come and get involved in the life of 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 the church in El Salvador, and understand, these four guys were all pastoring the largest churches in the country. Uh, This was uh, uh, Redesno. Numa was pastoring a church of of probably 3,000. Juan Castro's church was probably 4,000. I mean, these these are huge churches in San Salvador. Mario Vega's church is 100,000 people. They have 10,000 small groups every week. God's doing amazing things in the murder capital of the world. The per capita murder rate in San Salvador is the highest of anywhere in the world. God's doing amazing things in that city. And so these are the guys that I'm sitting here, and they're saying to me, Jim, we need the X2 Network in America. And I said, in El Salvador. And I said, why? You've got to tell me why. Every one of you guys are pastoring larger churches than I've ever pastored, or any network in our churches. None of them are as big as the churches you guys are pastoring. What, what? you got to tell me what it is that you see that you think would be a blessing to the church in El Salvador. And one of them, 50-year-old pastor of 3,000 members in a public forum, which is extremely rare for a Latin American man or any man for that matter, but he started to cry. And he said, 
Dr. Wall, we've got our churches. We've got our denominations. But Latin American pastors are orphans. What we don't have is fathers. And we see the heart of a father in you. And we believe there will be other fathers like you who will come if you'll, lead, if you'll invite them. I don't know if that breaks your heart, but it broke mine that day. Because you see, I think that's true in America too. I think it's true in, in India. I think it's true in every place I've ever been. There is an orphanage mentality in the body of Christ that needs to be broken. And the only way it's going to be broken is if spiritual parents rise up all the way through the ranks from seeker to infant to teen to adult to I will accept responsibility to care more about what's happening in the children that I'm investing in than I care about what's happening in me. It was the greatest need in the church at Corinth too. That's why the apostle Paul wrote in chapter 4 verse 15 through 17, for though you have 10,000 teachers in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Through the good news, I became your father in Christ Jesus, so I beg you, please follow my example. What's he doing? He's saying you've got plenty of people to tell you what to do. You understand in the Greek, the word teacher, I think we've got these for the screens, the word teacher is the paigagos that means the one who passes along information. Are teachers important? Somebody say yes quickly. Thank God for our teachers, whether we're talking about in the public school system, the private school system, in the homes, in the church, wherever. Thank God for our teachers. But he said, you've got plenty of people to do that. What's a father? What's the next one? It's the word pater that means, and pater is the one who infuses his own spirit into another. That's what Paul meant when he said, follow me as uh, as I follow Christ, follow my example. He said, lean in. Let's do life together. And I want you to pay attention to how I'm doing life. Do, do, do parents teach their kids stuff? Sure they do. But far more important, they show them how to live. That's what's needed so very badly. We don't need people to teach us how to do stuff as much as we need somebody to show us how to be this fully mature follower of Jesus Christ. Just as a father leaves the family legacy to the next generation and the next and the next, I believe that's the greatest need in the body of Christ today. In fact, that's not just my belief. That's Jesus' heart. Let me, let me show you. First, in John 17 we find the prayer that Jesus prayed just before he went to Calvary. So imagine with me in that moment, you know what's coming. You're about to go into a series of illegal trials that are going to last all night long. You're going to be accused of all kinds of things, none of which you are guilty of. At the end of it, you're going to be beaten near the point of death, and then you're going to have to carry a heavy wooden cross having almost bled out to the point that you will collapse under the weight of it and then they're going to nail you to that cross and they're going to raise you above heaven and earth and drop you with a thud into that hole and you're going to die there. If you're praying just before that, you think that would be a fervent prayer? Anybody think that would be one of those, oh God, kind of prayers? Well, that's the prayer that Jesus is praying. And one of the things that he prayed during that prayer is, okay, Father, I've taught them. I've showed them. I've lived with them. I've even passed some of the glory you gave me to them. Now, Father, I need you to unite them so that the generations 
beyond them will know you too. I need you to do something in them. Now, fast forward just a few days. Jesus has been through all of that. And he raises from the grave. And he's alive and he appears to his disciples. John 20, he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Pastor Jim, paraphrase, I have reproduced myself in you. I've taught you everything you need. I've prepared you for that day that you are ready to do this on your own. I have parented you. And now I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to empower you. Now go do what I've been doing. In fact, in John 14, he said, you're going to do greater things than I ever did. Maybe not greater in quantity, quality, but greater in quantity because there's more of them being mobilized around the world. Guys, that's the whole motif of the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's how the kingdom of God advances. That's, That's the motif of how we get things done in the kingdom of God. I love how James Smart in his book, The Rebirth of Ministry, says it. He says, Jesus was not satisfied in having a succession of audiences to which he might proclaim his gospel. He was interested primarily, if you're taking notes, if you're in, in, in the app and you're taking notes, you may want to circle that primarily. He was interested in teaching them. He wanted them to understand. That's why he used parables that they would get. He, but he was not interested primarily in that. He was interested in having, what's the word? Disciples in whom and through whom his ministry would be multiplied many times over. Here's what I'm praying for. I'm praying for some people in the bridge who would insert their name here and would say, I'm not satisfied with the fact that I am serving in the kingdom of God. I'm not satisfied that I have discovered God's call in my life and I'm serving in a niche. I'm not satisfied that I'm doing what it is I'm supposed to be doing with my life. In fact, what I long for is to be able to step back and train other people to do what I've been called to do and watch them do it and then be available to them so that they can then, in fact, do it for others. That's the progression, guys. That's what spiritual parents do, and that's what I'm praying for. For all of us, can I, can I tell you that I consider myself blessed on so many levels? I have, uh, some of you know, you ask me how I'm doing, how am I going to answer you? Most of the time it's I'm so blessed, I'm embarrassed. I mean, it's just kind of the way I look at life. Uh, but you know one of the reasons I'm so blessed? It's because somebody taught me this when I was young. Because I had a spiritual parent who got it and invested in me long before there was any value that anybody else could see. He saw it, and he taught me this principle early in my ministry, and so I've had a lifetime to practice it. So please forgive me if this sounds like I'm drawing attention to myself, but I want, I want to make sure you understand I'm not just teaching you an, an academic truth. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I want you to understand how practically real this is if we'll get it, if we lean into it. Most of you know Kim and I were missionaries to the Philippines uh, from 81 to 89. When we went there, we found that there were uh, nine churches and 11 ministers 
pastors in that group. And so the very first thing we did was to take the two who are not pastoring and say, okay, let's start a church. Where do you want to start churches? And so we went to two different towns. We did evangelistic crusades. We started two more churches. Once I got those 11 churches up and running, I started to teach them the very principles that I'm teaching you today. I began to challenge those pastors to identify those seekers, infants, teenagers, and adults in their congregations. And when they found someone with potential to become a pastor, send them to us and we'll train them. We started Harvester's Bible Institute, Harvester's Bible College, and we began to train young pastors. By the time they graduated, the graduation interview was, so where do you want to plant your church? And so we planted churches with those graduates. We planted 67 churches in the nine years that we were in country. Started two Bible colleges during that time. But far more important than that, we left an army of Filipino leaders, spiritual parents, in place. We planted an average of seven churches a year the years we were there. They planted 13 the year after we left. I should have left sooner. (laughs) I must have been in the way. What am I telling you? And today, there's 170 churches in that work from the northern tip of the country to the southern tip of the country. And I went back a few years ago. I'm at one of those services, and I'm praying over the young uh, graduates of the Bible College and uh, the ones who are being ordained to ministry. And I'm praying over this young guy, and, uh, and Joseph Benigno leaned over my shoulder, and he said, that's Rogelio Montero's son. I ordained Rogelio in 1984. Now I'm praying over his son. And then I'm starting praying over this young lady. And they're saying, that's Ellie Visayan's daughter. I ordained Ellie in, in 82, I think. And I'm, now I'm praying over his daughter. And I start crying because now I'm a granddaddy in the spirit. <laughs> that's how the body of Christ works. So then we came to Chesapeake in 1989, same thing. I mean, the very first ownership class that I taught in this brand new church getting started, I said, guys, you need to understand I will not always be your pastor. I had one lady said, well, then I'm leaving. I didn't know you were going to do that. I said, well, I may be 20 years from now, but I won't always be your pastor because there is a succession process of the body of Christ that is bigger than one person. From the very beginning, I told them that was going to happen. And in due time, we raised up spiritual parents in the house that became our community group leaders, we called them. And one of them became the next senior pastor of the church. And yeah, God blessed and the church grew and a lot of people got saved. But the year after we left, Outreach Magazine called Community Church the 34th fastest growing church in America. After we left. Come on, guys. You're killing me. While I was thinking about this yesterday in my office, kind of finalizing my own thoughts and kind of putting my heart on paper, I got a text from Michael. I kid you not, I got a text from Michael saying, Jim, I am so thankful for you for being the spiritual father that I need. And I said, Michael, you're not going to believe what I'm sitting here typing as you text. I'm about to tell the congregation I lead, I'm so thankful for you for being the spiritual son that has become a spiritual father in your own right. So after we turned that over to Michael, we moved back to North Carolina to slow down. (laughs) Semi-retire, you know. (laughs) And then you guys honored us with the amazing honor of leading this church for a season. I I just, I need you to know, I, I... I just need you to know that when the time does come for me to step back, and I know those days are coming, I don't know. I don't have 27 years to give you like Farrell did, but, you know. um, I will not 
measure my success or failure as your leader in terms of how many people showed up for our Sunday morning services. It can't be. I'll measure it in terms of how many people came to Christ, grew up in Christ, found their niche in the body of Christ, ultimately became the parents who are productive, and then became the parents who invested in the next generation coming along. In fact, I'll go so far as to say nothing we'll do during my leadership will be about growing a church. Do we count attendance? Sure we do. Because every number is a name and every name has an eternity. Of course we do. Do we get connect cards from you and follow up? Of course we do. Because you're important to us. We want you to do that stuff. Please don't be shy or embarrassed about filling out one of those connect cards. Well, I don't want. We got people. You got, some of you guys have been here for 10 years. You've never filled out a connect card. You're not even in our system. We don't even know that you're here. You've, well, of course I'm here. I've been here for 10 years. Wow. How are we supposed to know that? Of course we track that kind of stuff. All I'm saying is please, I told the staff soon after I came in, guys, please tell me I have not given almost 50 years of my life to counting cash, chairs, and cars. There's got to be more to this than that. And there is. Again, am I saying we don't want the church to grow? Of course not. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying Jesus said in Matthew 18, I will build my church. And in Matthew 28, he said, you go make disciples. Our job's not to build the church. Our job's to make disciples. And when we do that, the church will grow. And that simply is not going to happen. It simply is not going to happen as long as we measure success in terms of how many people showed up to the event. It has to be measured in the growth of our people. Does that sound harder than gathering a crowd? Yeah, it does. In fact, it is. Does that, does that mean that the church might grow a little more slowly? Maybe. Uh, but I think ultimately we're talking about the difference between planting an acorn that becomes an oak tree versus watching a mushroom pop up and fade when the sun gets hot. I'll take an oak tree any day. And that's why we've invested the last six weeks in trying to understand this whole dynamic of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. That's why I've given you the CMAT, the Christian Maturity Assessment Tool, and I've asked all of you to fill one out. If you don't want to share the information or the results with somebody else, then get in a closet and fill it out with a flashlight, not a candle, okay? But fill it out. Um, I've asked you to complete it and, and set at least one spiritual goal for your life. I mean, that's, why we're, that's why we're launching a whole new system for small groups around here. And it's hard. Change is hard. You've been doing it a certain way. Now we're going to do it differently. It's like, oh, I don't know if I like the new system. I don't know. Uh, I know it's hard. Change is hard. But we've got to find a way to multiply disciples in the house. Seekers becoming infants who become teens, who become adults, who ultimately become parents. Can, can we stop right now and just honor the bridge group leaders among us? If you're a bridge group leader, would you stand right now? I know many of them are over in kids' church and some of them are traveling this week. And if you're a bridge group leader, are you here this morning? Would you stand? Come on. Can we just appreciate these guys? <coughs> Thank you guys for who you are. And so when they come to you and invite you to join their group, your answer is, yes, thank you for the invitation. What night do you meet? Right? Come on, say it with me. Yes, thank you for the invitation. What night do you meet? <laughs> Help them out because they're challenged to build their groups now and become spiritual parents in the 
house. Now, I've got to get personal. Uh, I promised you a challenge, so let me bring it down. I see the clock. We're going to bring it down. Um, Carl George wrote a book a number of years ago that has stuck with me through the years, and, and here's the part of his book that stuck with me. He said, the Jesus model for changing the world is recruit 12, graduate 11. That's the model. You want to change the world? Recruit 12, graduate 11. So I found myself thinking about this spiritual parenting thing and, 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 and just started dreaming in my head for just a minute. What if, what if every person who calls the bridge home uh, made the effort to, to identify the current stage of maturity that they're in, honestly? Doesn't matter what stage you're in, just what's the direction of your feet. So they got honest about it. They filled out a CMAT. They, they set a spiritual goal, said, I'm going to grow this year. What if they didn't stop at adults, but they went all the way to parents? What if our parents adopted the Jesus model and, and they said, you know what? I'm going to recruit 12. I'm going to graduate 11. I wonder what would happen here in this church. So I did some math. You know, my brain's kind of going, oh, what if, what if? Well, let's do some math. So I got the office involved, and I got them to give me some numbers. There are currently 2,324 people who are regular attenders and owners of the Bridge Ministries in our three locations together. They're all at different levels of maturity. Uh, there's no way we can know how many are at each level of maturity. We've never tracked that, not planning to start now. But here's what we do know is that as of the end of August, we've had 184 people give their lives to Jesus Christ through Bridge Ministries this year alone. Yeah. <laughs> Praise God. So we're on track that about by the end of the year, probably 10% of our congregation will be baby Christians. So just think with me. Don't bog down in the numbers. I'm going to put them on the screen to help you, but don't bog down. I just want you to get an image in your mind. If 10% of our congregation are infant Christians, then let's just surmise that maybe 10% of our congregation currently are spiritual parents. Kind of get that idea in your mind. What if 10% were parents? So there's 2,324 regular tenders and owners. If 10% of them are parents, then how many parents do we have? Who are the math, math wizards here? That means we have 230 or so spiritual parents here now. If each of our spiritual parents adopted the Jesus model, recruit 12, graduate 11, then we'd have 230 parents recruiting 12, graduating 11 in 2019, one of whom, let's just say 10%, one of whom is a spiritual parent. We've now added 230 parents to 230 parents. By the end of 2019, we have 460 parents operating in this ministry. Tracking with me? Well, if they did the same thing in 2020, 460 plus 460 becomes 920 parents. If they did the same thing in 2021, 920 parents recruit 12, graduate 11, one of them's a parent, then now we are at 1,840 parents in 2021. The next year, 2022, the same things happen. We're at 3,680 parents. 2023, 3,680 plus 3,680 is 73,660 parents, 7,360 parents in the house in five years. And if they're recruiting 12, graduating 11, that's 80,000 people. Wow. 
What's the Jesus model? Recruit 12, graduate 11. And let me tell you quickly, it's not a harvest problem. The people who research this stuff tell me there are 70,000 people in Wayne County alone that never darken the door of a church. And because we're in three locations, we're involved in Johnston County and Duplin County and Sampson County and Wilson County, and we're spread out. Hundreds of thousands of people desperately in need of Jesus. It's not a harvest shortage. It's a parent shortage. The fields are ripe unto harvest. So if we could only find a few fully devoted followers of Christ who part of that journey will be to grow to full maturity and take seriously that my goal is to grow to be a spiritual parent. Guys, we could rock this kingdom, this this region for the kingdom of God. Yeah. Well, Jim, that's just, that's just crazy talk. That's just, what, 80,000 people? Are you kidding me? You're crazy. Well, that's how Jesus did it. His 12 became 120. They called a prayer meeting. The place exploded, right? Reached the known world in one lifetime with the gospel. Yeah, but that's then and this is now. Well, I thought Jesus Christ was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, you happen to have a pastor that's traveled the world. I've been in missions all my life. So I've been to churches like Elam Fellowship in San Salvador that I mentioned has 100,000 people in it, murder capital of the world. I was at New Hope in Chennai, India not too long ago. Uh, they have averaged 55,000 on the weekends in a nation that's predominantly Hindu. But God's doing this amazing work in Chennai. The pastor, have I got time to tell this story? Do I have time? Uh, The pastor, uh, the Lord told him to buy a piece of land outside the city and to build a 50,000-seat stadium for their weekend services. And he was convinced, he got multitude of counselors, he was convinced that was God. He was supposed to do that. And everybody said he was crazy because this is a poor part of the world. They don't have transportation. He's going to buy a place out in the city where there's no way you can get to? That's crazy. How you can, how are you going to get people out there, much less fill that place up? And so, but he did it. He bought the land, and, and they started working on building plans. And about the time they got their building permit uh, issued, the city came out with a pronouncement that they had bought this piece of land to build a new international airport. It was next door to the land that the church had bought, and they're building an, a, an elevated monorail system from the city out to the airport that's capable of carrying a million people a day. And the station for that is at the corner of the church property. Is it going to fill that stadium up? Yeah, I got a feeling he is. I got a feeling he is. Okay, Jim, I got you. Okay, but you can't put 80,000 people on this property. I just told you nothing we do is about growing a church. We'll launch new locations. We'll partner with other God-honoring, Bible-believing churches in the region. We don't care. We just want people to come to know Jesus and grow up in Christ and become all that God made them to be. Come on, guys. Let's do something for Jesus that rocks the world. I got to close, but can we get, forget the numbers and just bring it down to one? There was a guy in New Testament times who was a slave who stole money from his slave owner and ran away. He ran to uh, Rome, and there he encountered Paul, who was under house arrest. Paul, being a spiritual parent, 
saw this thieving runaway slave and brought him under his wing and parented him, discipled him, helped him to grow up in Christ. And eventually, Paul said to this young slave, you know you got to go home and make it right. You got that right? And he said, yes, sir, but you know he has the right to have me executed. Well, I'll do my best to protect you, but you got to go home and make it right. And so Paul wrote a letter to his good friend Philemon about his new son in Christ, Onesimus. And here's what he said in Philemon chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. If he's done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. What's Paul doing? He's putting his reputation on the line. He's putting his resources on the line. He's putting his very relationship with Philemon on the line for a one-time runaway thieving slave. But that's what spiritual parents do. That's what they do. A hundred years later, Ignatius, early Jewish historian, called the church at Ephesus the most influential church of its time. The temple of Diana was in the city of Ephesus, and she was the goddess of perversion. And every perversion that you can imagine, and some that I hope you have never imagined, was going on in that place. The church at Ephesus reached so many people for Christ that they closed the temple of Diana down. They didn't have enough customers to keep the business going. Anybody want to guess what the pastor's name was? Onesimus. Is it our Onesimus? I I don't know. We can't say that categorically, but here's what I do know. Onesimus is a pretty uncommon name even in those days. And, and, and here's the more important thing. Ignatius wrote, Pastor Onesimus, you were formerly useless, but you are now useful, which is a direct quote from the book of Philemon. Somebody believed in somebody, even before there was a whole lot there to believe in, and they helped them along on their journey. It happened before. It can happen again. It's happening in other parts of the world. It can happen here. All I'm asking you is will you go with me? I'm committing the rest of my productive life to this vision. I'm asking you to go with me on it. Not an owner yet, sign up for ownership. It's coming up on the 23rd. Not a bridge group yet, go to our website, bridgechurch.cc slash groups. Get in a group. Take a CMAT, set a goal, ready to be a parent. We've got a group just for training group leaders. We'll help you get there. But here's, here's, the, here's the goal. Stand with me, would you? Stand with me. We've got to close. But I want you to close your eyes with me. I'm going to read this Ephesians 4 passage one more time. I've been reading it, parts of it throughout the series. I want to read it one more time in its entirety, and I want you to just close your eyes and picture it in your life and in the life of our church. This work will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, 
measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. That's what we long for, Lord, to be a part of a place, a group of people who understand the journey that we're on and recognize that it's not just about me and Jesus got a good thing going, but we're in this together. The church made up of every stage of maturity from seekers who are not even sure they believe this stuff to infants that are brand new in it to teenagers that are struggling with what they believe and why they believe it to adults that are serving and productive, giving faithfully, tithing to parents who are helping the others come along in their journey. Lord, that's the kind of church that we want to be And so our confession to you this morning is we are the church. We're not just say, let's go to church. We're going to say, let's be the church. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you can say it silently, say it loudly, I don't care. But I want you to join me in saying, let's be the church. Let's be the church. Let's be the church. Father, bless us, use us. At the end of the day, be glorified because it's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for sticking with me this morning.